0: Welcome to the Mary D show. I'm your host Mary D, here to be your guide as we extract wisdom and life lessons from top CEOs, thought leaders, artists, spiritual luminaries and wellness experts. My intention is to bring you value in every show that sparks an idea, helps you break a limiting belief or creates thoughts that uplevel your life so that you can know from the deepest depths of your soul that everything you want is available to you and that abundance is your birthright. In 2018, I healed from breast cancer holistically after surgery without the use of chemotherapy or pharmaceuticals. I love biohacking and plant medicine and exploring spirituality and what it means to be in relationship with Source so that we can feel whole and complete no matter what life throws at us. My specialty in the business world is strategy and leadership, and my gift to each of you is my ability to listen so that I can help others see themselves. In each episode, I want to sprinkle you with some hope dust, tickle your funny bone, and inspire you to find your inner roar. Get ready to live your most purposeful and joy-filled life now and enjoy the show. My guest today is Zion Kim. He is the founder of One MT. It's a digital venture studio as well as Atlas Assistance, where he helps people find their dream executive assistants and VAs. Zion launched his first company at 19, making custom clothing for students. And while at that endeavor, it earned him the prestigious Rutgers University Entrepreneur Award. It also taught him exactly how not to build a business. Today, Zion and his team at 1MT help entrepreneurs to feel fulfilled by their work in the world He is on a mission to support a thousand online companies who are focused on changing their relationship to their work so that they can do more of what they love. If you'd like to contact Zion and find out more about his work in the world, you can do that through www.AtlasAssistance.com. Welcome to the show. It's amazing to have you on. I am super excited to have you as my guest today. Talk to me about 2023. What do you have coming up? What's new? And what are you most excited about?
1: Everything's new. (laughs) Uh, Everything's new. There's actually uh, seemingly not much in my life that doesn't feel new. This is a massive transitionary phase of life, as you know. I have a baby on the way in February, baby girl named Zaya. We just moved to Lisbon uh, almost exactly a month ago. Uh, So that's very new. Uh, I just finished uh, my immigration process. I'm about to come back to the States to get my visa stamped. So that's new. So we actually decided we're going to stay here for five years. So we can just get the residency, get the passport. And I think after we spent all this time furnishing the house, we're like, you know, let's let's give it a couple more years to to really milk this thing for the level of effort and intention that we really put into the space. You know, so yeah, new country, new environment, new time zone. And you know, new identities, just yeah. in terms of what I get to step into all around. It's been a, a massive shift in just being able to, um, you know, just be with all of it and just to really surrender to the unfolding of everything that's been coming forth here.
0: Yes, I love it. Uh, talk to me about the process of deciding on a place like Portugal. And then mm-hmm. talk to me about how you settle in. Like, how do you... I feel like you had so much community in both San Diego, Austin and all the places you've yeah. been. So how do you mm-hmm. land in a in a foreign country and find community? Yeah. Like how does that show up for you?
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that I have a lot of confidence in is that wherever I go, I know that I cultivate the community around me. So the fear does not necessarily come from will I be able to have community as much as, you know, the differences are does it that's uh, the density of epic humans exist mm. in a certain area uh, of place, right? Because without the people, uh, without the interactions, of course, the community is never going to really come together. But in terms of facilitating and bringing the community together, uh, I, have, I have high confidence no matter where I go, you know, that I'll really be able to serve as a pillar for, for that community. And it's already started happening here. Yeah, And what's really beautiful is, you know, the day that we made the decision, which uh, a lot of it had to do with, uh, immigration, uh, which catalyzed it at first, because you know Renata, my partner, is a Brazilian Canadian citizen, and you know coming into the states, if she came in on a tourist visa, you know not to bore everyone with the details, but it counts as like dual intent. So basically, she couldn't work and had, would have all these travel restrictions and everything. So, so we were just recommended by multiple lawyers say, hey, you know what, you should probably apply for this outside the states. So we were in Lisbon at the time. And, you know, I just looked at her and said, hey, you know, what What about Lisbon? Like, how does L- Lisbon feel for you, right? Because we did already know some people here. Lisbon's a new Austin. Uh, like, Lisbon's Ooh. like the Austin of Europe, Ooh. right? Like, there's so many people here. But the biggest difference uh, that I noticed is the global conversation, right? Like, everyone in Austin, when I lived there, was from different parts of the U.S., right? Whereas everyone here in Lisbon is from everywhere else in the world. Right, and that to me was very exciting because I actually desired a a European chapter of my life because I was born in London, right? But I never actually lived here. I'd be speaking with people from Saudi Arabia and Hungary and Germany and you know different parts of South America and you know London. You know, so it's all this mass range of people. So I, I just thought, okay, well, what would life be like, right? To to be in this conversation where you know people really talk about like, well, I travel from here to here to here and they talk about different countries, not different states. And you know, so from a cultural perspective, I feel like it really gave me a different uh, opportunity to really shape my lens. Yeah, I, I feel that I really got to really experience America, right? Like I, I got to really see different places and lived in a couple different places and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so was a new chapter, right? So I was, I was really pumped for it.
0: I love this. I love Lisbon for you. I think it's super exciting. I can't wait to come see. Oh my you. God. I, yeah. I miss having you in my backyard. I, I will say that. I, I miss the gatherings yeah. and the get togethers. Those are always so epic. They'll just feel uh, just, just slightly different with uh, me you know, hopping over the pond to, uh, to have to visit you this time.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. You'll, you'll love it. The, the oh, people yeah. here are incredible. And the density here is growing, right? Cool. It, it is really growing with truly remarkable people. And uh, it's beyond anything that I, I imagined. And uh, so I'm, I'm already quite excited for it.
0: Mm, that's so good. Super juicy. I love that. So, talk to me about your new chapter with Atlas Assistance. I know that you yeah. help busy executives find their dream VA. And you mm-hmm. gave me these like five tips on, on what you consider the things that you wish you sure. had known. Uh, that when mm-hmm. you were younger, right? So the question I like to ask folks is, what do you know now that you wish you had known before you started your business? You gave me five really great tips. And so let's touch on the first one, which was don't try to do too much at one time. So that seems super oh, yeah. obvious, but like, like break mm-hmm. that down for me. How do you notice people trying to do too much at one time? Like what are some examples of that?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's the paradox of growth. A lot of people believe that in order to grow, you need more. Uh, which logically makes sense, right? And it's actually quite counterintuitive and very paradoxical to realize that um, multiplication and amplification actually happens through simplification and through actually doing less. You know, with this business, it it became very clear to me that I want to be driven by product that drives the marketing, uh, not necessarily the other way around. Because I've yeah. done. Both before, mm-hmm. where we had really great marketing and sales, and then we had to really have the product catch up to it. But this time, we had time, right? And it's funny because we had the time, but the only timeline that I'm uh, fighting against is the one of my daughter's arrival. But outside of that, I felt that my my urgency was was quite low for it, right? You know. So I think that's the very first thing is really simplify uh, what we're doing and just make sure that we get something that we're doing right and do it really, really well. Because what a lot of people also don't understand is that if you're not doing one thing incredibly well and you start multiple products and you're doing all them poorly, well, especially for a service based company, mm-hmm. you want to think about, and even for a products based company or whatever it is, you want to think about the experience, right? And cultivating the different units of experience all throughout. That's everything from um, all the touch points, right? So it's onboarding, the service delivery, all the multiple milestones and the touch points of service delivery, and how your, really bringing that all together. And then you have how you're going to sell that product, how you're going to market that product, and all the different funnels for marketing that product, and you have all the operations for that product. So when you then think about the nuance and the subtlety across all those different poses of business, and you multiply that by the amount of products that you have, your problems start to become quite heavy. right? And I don't think a lot of people truly appreciate how much it takes to do one thing really extraordinarily well. And for me, the fun in business was doing new things. Mm, where right. the biggest contrast I had to learn is can I build this to the point where I am so freaking bored of looking at the same thing over and over again because at that point I know that I've actually invested the right time and space.
0: Mm, yeah, I was with an entrepreneur this weekend and he was telling me how he's started 80 different projects specifically in the music World, but he's not been able to take any of them over the finish line. And in my mind, I was thinking, I "Wow, eighty <laughs> projects! Like, what if you just sat with one of them and just actually took it over the finish line? Then you could be like, one out of eighty, knocked it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what is that, Zion? Like, is it like a shiny ball syndrome? What is the distraction? Is it uh, just being such a having so many ideas that you just start one and then hop onto the next? Like, how do you how do you rein mm-hmm. all that in?
1: Yeah, you know what I think it is for a lot of entrepreneurs is there's excitement of new, right? The excitement of getting something new off the ground is a different type of energy, a different level of consideration, and a different level of care that it takes to continue to work on something and work on the same problem and reach a level depth in that problem. When you're launching a solution to a problem where you're actually working on something, it's the most unrefined, right? You just have to get a solution out there and you're actually praised and actually makes more sense for it to be just put together just enough to make sure that you have you know, like the MVP stage of something, right? Like you just have to make sure it's good enough. But the moment that you have to go a little bit deeper, what ends up happening is there's an attachment to your identity that also uh, I think starts to come into play, especially if the stakes get higher, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're actually doing something for a lot longer, uh, the stakes actually get a lot higher and this actually starts to become a true reflection of you And if, Mm. especially if your identity is reflected as, hey, I'm successful based on if this thing is successful. And I think that's also really scary for some people. Totally. Yeah. And I think the other side of it is like, do you actually want it enough? Like, do you actually care enough? Do you actually want it enough for this thing to, to exist in the world? And I think for a lot of people, that answer is also no.
0: Yeah one of the things that i see in a lot of organizations is i see a visionary who does have all of these ideas and they they, are, they have a lot of great ideas they also have a few wonky yeah. ideas uh, yeah. and then they you know they have the the team that's behind them that actually is typically implementing the actual work and so oftentimes i see the disconnect between the visionary who's got all these ideas and they're thrown up the team and they also don't always have a realistic timeline mm-hmm. around how long these things actually will take and so the, oh and the team bears the yeah. weight of, wow, we have to start this project. We, we might, could be in a cycle where we're not even sure if it's going to get yeah. finished before he, changes his, he or she changes their minds. And then yeah. now we're stuck in this cycle. So what suggestion do you have for CEOs that are these visionaries we're talking about? They have lots of ideas. Yeah. They love to start them. Mm-hmm. They like recreating something new. They get bored quickly. Yeah. Like how do they actually show up for their team so that the team is not in shell shock and repeating this cycle mm. of PTSD because they keep getting a project that just gets pulled away and now they have yeah. to start a new project. Like what do, what do we talk? What do we say to those folks?
1: Yeah. You know, one of the biggest lessons I learned back in my first days as, as a CEO was Zion, when you say something, the entire organization pauses and listens because they're not sure if they want to go the way that you're talking about. Mm. And I think for a lot of visionaries and a lot of CEOs who are new to the game, and even people who are quite experienced that just are completely unconscious to this, they don't realize the impact of their words mm. uh, on their team, right? Because their team just wants to do a good job. And a lot of this has to do with planning, right? It's, it's just improper planning in terms of how they're planning their annual plans or quarterlies and so on. But even if you're a startup. It's not understanding the resources, but it's also not understanding the consequences. Mm -hmm. And it's not understanding the impact, right? Good or bad of the project that you want to work on, right? So, you know, one of the things that uh, I look at, you know, is for a strategic coach resource called Impact Filter, where it's like, well, what's the best result that you can have if this thing's done? And what's the worst thing that can happen if this isn't done? Mm -hmm. And I think if you just ask those two simple questions, you realize that most of the things aren't even worth going into. But I think the other side of it is like, what do you lose out on if this does not happen? I think it's like even more important, right? And I think this is a way that teams can manage their CEOs and just say, okay, well, we can work on this, but that means we can't work on that, right? And I think that frame always is true If hey, by the way, if you're saying that you wanna, there's no addition here, right? Like, there's no reality that exists for addition, but I think you also have to take a step back and realize, like, why does this problem happen in the first place? And it's because visionary entrepreneurs, like, they live in the future, right? That's your job, right? Your job is to literally see the future, come back to the present moment, and demand that it gets created in this time and space. Mm -hmm. And when something feels so real for you, the separation from that future to this present moment, that gap is. Literally the definition of suffering, you know. And and I, of course, I'm not saying this on an existential level here, but this is more on my visionary entrepreneurs. Like, well, can they live if if this doesn't happen? See, I see. I've been seeing this a lot with uh, some entrepreneurs, where they're like, like, oh, but you know, if we do this, and this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, and we're going to build this ecosystem, and we're going to have all these things, and you know, I'm like, right, but you don't have one thing yet. That's right. So it's nice to think about all those things, but I promise you, the moment you go down that rabbit hole and the moment the visionary thought process turns on, like those things will always be there. But, you know, it's, it's having a, a healthy relationship of knowing of like that fear of loss. Right. Cause I think that's also a play as well. Yeah. So I think for a lot of CEOs, um, the most important thing is just remembering, right? It's good to have ideas, just don't share them with your team. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Cause you're right. Um, the team
0: that takes it as gospel and they're like, oh my gosh, is this a project? Are yeah. we starting this now? Are we going? Yeah. Yeah. And I know yeah. one of the things I've noticed is also the, when the team can also, like you said, push back, right. And I like mm-hmm. to call it managing up. It's like being able yeah, to, exactly. to, to take those ideas and go, Hey, I'm so glad you shared all of those amazing ideas with us today. Let's go back to what, mm-hmm. you know, maybe quarterly planning and the goals that we set. And does this fall yep. into alignment with, with where we already said we were heading? Do they actually yep. buy into the future we've already said we're creating? Or is this a CEO who is just really unclear on their future? Because I also think that that's yep. part of it. In Huge part this, of it. We're totally. We're in this beautiful world of so much opportunity. And sometimes it's just deciding which road are we taking, right? All roads yep. can lead to a wonderful, beautiful business that you want. Part of the battle, though, is deciding on which avenue are you going to take, which vehicle are you getting in to get there. And so that at the Mm -hmm. end of it, you're not like, oh, I should have taken the train because the bus was not the way, you know? But are you still getting to where you're trying to go? And and I think that's a big part of it. And and knowing teams that are timid or Mm -hmm. in some fear around even being able to raise their hand and say, hey, this actually isn't aligned with where you already said we were going. So can we talk about that? Because it creates accountability also. And I think that that's, that mm-hmm. creates a, a much healthier relationship because you you get some checks and balances in your business. So ideally, yeah. CEOs, we want you to get clear on your vision so that when you share it with your team, they can also feel really good about where you're headed and where you're going without you throwing mm-hmm. too many monkey wrenches in there. Um, but at the same time, being able to yeah. have your ideas.
1: Yeah. But while you're talking, I think the other thing that comes up that really scares people and why this behavior exists is Mm -hmm. this belief that things have to happen faster. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this aspect of like, things have to happen faster, but why? Right? Faster compared to what? Right. You know, and for some CEOs, and by the way, like the reason why I can speak to this stuff on such a deep level is because this was me. (laughs) Right. I got it. This, this was me. You know, one of of the questions that you had to ask before the podcast was, you know, things I wish I knew. Right. And one of the things is you're just not in a hurry. Like things don't actually have to happen that fast. Right. And when you start to allow things to take the amount of space and time that they're supposed to rather than what you th- what you want them to be, because then mm. what ends up happening is you're actually creating for the sake of your ego, not for uh, creating value in the marketplace. Wow. Right. And, and that's the fastest way to kill a company right. that has a lot of potential.
0: Mm. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah. I feel like that's definitely like the number two large infraction from CEOs sometimes, which is just that. It's hey, can you get it done faster? I was just speaking to some folks that run traffic for an agency and like half the team is looking to leave. And I was like, oh, this is painful to watch these guys who are... I mean, good for me because I can move them over to other agencies that are looking for buyers. But for them, I'm just thinking, man, I don't work with their, their CEO. So I was like, oh... Yikes! Like this guy has no idea what's coming, but I can see all the classic things that are going on for his business. He's he's out there selling away, and he's promising mm-hmm. that it's going to be done in a week, and he's bringing it back to the team, and they're like, "Whoa! Like, can we spit this out in a week? We can, but it's going to be like, like the tires aren't going to be full, and right. the you know the, there's no gas in the tank. So yes, they could." Bring this offer to life, but it's not going to be a great offer. And the team right. is crying out saying, we're creative. We're amazing at the work we do. We want to do amazing work in the world. Give us some yeah. space and some room to do that. Mm-hmm. But the CEO is in his element, right? He's out there selling, selling and, mm-hmm. you know, kissing babies and shaking hands. Right. And, and I think getting caught up in that world of, oh, my team can do it faster. And then he comes back without consulting the team. And the team is like, we can do it faster, but this isn't going to be fun for us anymore. We don't actually get to do what we're great at, right? We'd rather do quality work than just this output of Mm. mediocre work. And like, I felt that. I felt that for them. And I thought they they love the work they're doing. They're just in a space where they don't get the time and energy to, Mm -hmm. to put the love in the the skill set that they have into doing it. And that is that's taking mm-hmm. the love out of that business for them to where they're ready to move mm-hmm. on to a place where they can be really appreciated mm-hmm. for those talents. And I think that's a yeah. that's a sad reality that you can look around and, and see at a lot of companies. So how do we help CEOs avoid that? Zion, like how can they show up for their teams and get a pulse on what's going on?
1: Well I think it's having a conversation with them and just understanding their reality and their world and and what happens right i think a lot of new leaders you know they believe that they're the ones that have to set the pace and to a certain extent you do, you do. right to a certain extent right. you do because there's times where i know things can happen faster without sacrificing quality and it's up to you as a visionary to find that balance between how do we make sure that we can do this faster while also not playing into parkinson's law right which is you know things will take up the amount of space that you allocate to it, right? Work will take up the amount of space that you allocate to it. You know, so it's this fine dance for for a lot of folks. But there's there's a couple checks that I think you have to do as CEO. The first check is, do you have experienced and good people on the team? And if the answer is yes, and they are really really solid, right? Because People who are beginners and amateurs, they'll tell you they can do it fast and of quality. But if, you're, if you have a team that's really, really solid, then you, know, you should really ask them, okay, you know, how long is this going to actually take to deliver on? And what are some of the expectations that we can set for guardrails? And I've worked with... Now that I think about it, it's like I've worked with people who... Oh my god, that scenario was my night and day that I was living. You know, I think a lot of leaders, the first thing you have to remember is, I think that one of the worst things that you can do is take a team that is begging you to remain in integrity and lead them out of it. Because mm. that's effectively what you're doing, right? right? You're, you're asking a group of people, your team, to make commitments that they simply cannot keep. Mm-hmm. So you're asking them to be out of integrity on your behalf and to actually align with your own integrity breaches. Right. If you're listening to this, right, that that first awareness should be so jarring for you. And if it's not, then that's probably something to take a look at of what's more important to you, right? Because in that moment, then your ego is worth more than your integrity. And you're saying that your ego and feeding your ego is worth more than your character, is worth more than your reputation. It's worth the risk of impacting the reputation of the members of your team, right? And if you have a team of A players, the idea is that they had great reputations before they got to you, before they joined your team.
0: Right.
1: So if that's the case, and you know that, and, like, and you know that you built a really great team when every single person on the team could be anywhere. They have multiple options. And if all these things are true, then I think that's where you have to take a hard look and ask yourself, well, is it worth it, right? right? It's so challenging. And I've done this, right? I've yeah. done this. So I, it's so painful to go back and think <laughs> about it and to look at it. But, um, and I see people continue to do it, you know, because I think in your mind, a, a lot of CEOs don't think about second order consequences
0: right. or,
1: or third order consequences. Right. Right. And like, you just have to think about whatever decision you're going to make, multiply that by a thousand. Like, let's take this to the extreme. Like what happens? What breaks? Right. Like I know a company that scaled to $50 million on the promise that if they started this career path, like their whole marketing message was, oh, you're going to make more money if you go down this career path. Right. I'm not going to mention anything outside of that. Otherwise, people know who I'm referring to because it's a big, you know, because they're the market they were the market leader. But again, multiply by a thousand and they really expanded that message to the extreme. And they have people coming back now saying, Oh, you know what? Short term. They had massive growth, right? I think they went from like 10 to 15 to 50 million inside of a three-year span and then back the other way. But why? Right? Right. Because the short-term pleasure was not worth thinking through the long-term consequence. Right. And now the long-term consequence has positioned them in the market where shifting that perception is now... It's not impossible but it's it's that much more challenging,
0: totally, yeah, yeah. such a huge mistake that that's made in the marketplace. One of the other tips that you wrote down was, and it's one that I want to dive into because I also think that this just leads right into everything we've talked about. And it was you do not find purpose. It finds you by committing to the process. Mm-hmm. so when when you say that, I think, So often people will wake up and go, oh, what's my purpose in life? What's my purpose for the day? What's, you know, am I Moses? Am I supposed to go up to the the mountain and come back with like the words, you know, am I supposed to part the sea? Am I like, where, where am I this, this purpose driven person? And so we have this very large idea of what purpose actually entails right? Like, where are we the hero in our movie? And yeah. how can we be sure we are being the hero? So I feel like right. that's the age old question. Right. But you're saying, hey, there's a process you commit to. And so how do, people, how do people know that they are in that process?
1: You always are, right? But I think the most important thing to look at is why are you asking the question? And I believe the reason why most people ask the question is because they don't feel fulfilled by something in their life but the only thing that question is perpetuating is a level of separation between you and yourself Mm -hmm. and it's saying that something does not exist so you're actually manifesting and actualizing a reality where yeah you don't know what it is therefore it does not exist and you know the other part to it is you know what, what i love reminding people is what if you're already living on purpose because it's pulling you towards a certain direction, yet you're just not, you just don't have the capacity yet to make a, just have conscious articulation of what it is. Mm, So good. Yes. Like, is that okay? Right? Like, do you trust that you're on the right path? Because what if you can only see two to three steps ahead of you? Right. Like, is that okay? Right? Because you'll actually spend more time having the conversation around, again, it's another ego conversation, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about you and what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to show up and all these things. And what ends up happening is that's a conversation of the head, right? It's a conversation that you go, it's a conversation where you go internally. And what ends up happening is you actually block out your capacity to listen from the external signals of what the universe is, is trying to tell you, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm sure people have heard this before, the saying of, you know, it's first it starts with a whisper, you know, then it starts with a knock until it's just like a slap upside your head, right? And, you know, my life, I'm notorious for this, where I can't listen to the whisper or, you know, let alone the knock. And most of the time that I've learned my lessons has been the, just like the slap upside my head. Mm. So, you know, so I think for, you know, for those that are, are really looking for this, just realize that it will come, like it will, right? Because it's the moments of really building the skill set. And I remember the first time I ever had this conversation was 12 years ago with myself, right? Where um, I was 20, yeah, 12 years ago. So I was like 21-ish or or so, right? So I was like, you know what? I don't know what I want to do. But the only thing that I can do right now is build up my skills so that one day, when the right opportunity or the most aligned opportunity whatever comes then you know what i'm going to take it all the way so for now at least i'll just do the best i can right so there's a level of trust that's required to really walk down this path right and to really let go of yeah this question altogether and i remember the way you know like i remember like i was so in this question that i went to church and you know i grew up in a you know Uh, my my father's a pastor. I grew up in the church and I hadn't been free for a little bit, but I was so feeling so lost. Like, you know what? I'm going to go to church and, you know, start to, maybe I can find this answer. And I was running late. And, yeah, I was running late and I walk in and the pastor is giving the sermon. And the first things that come out of his mouth is, you know, there's a lot of people recently that have been asking me, like, how I find my purpose in life. And in the back of my mind, like, this is insane. Like, this is like, this is what I came here for. And the exact thing is like, and you know, I'm at the edge of my seat. It's like, okay, like, I'm finally going to get the answer. Right. (laughs) I'm finally getting the the answer. And then he says, well, that's simple. You do the work, right? You do the work, just do the work, right? Do the work and do the process. And then afterwards, like, well, what work is, what work am I supposed to do? Right. And that's the time when I was like, oh, you know, what is it going to be? And then it's like, oh, just do what you know, and I started crying. <laughs> right, you're
0: you're ready for some bigger answer, right? You're ready for some like five no, step you know, system.
1: <laughs> no, you know, no, because it was it hit me so profoundly, mm. right? Because I felt like I had all that that I had the answer of like do the work, do the work, do the work, yeah. and just you know love the process, do that. So I was like, yeah, I have that. But I was like, but what? But what am i supposed to do right so it just it just creates this cascading okay. mental masturbation loop right um that people fall into and you know and that's where it, it was so profound because like oh yeah i guess the only thing i can do is like what i know how to do mm. right or and it's like okay and every single time that i've ever fallen into that loop i just go back to that and i double down on whatever it is i'm doing and it always opens the next door and the next door and the next door. And actually, you know, that was the story of how I opened enough doors to eventually how we ended up working together. And that was, that was a catalyst for me. Oh. Right? I doubled down. I was working at a marketing agency. And it was like, oh, you know what? I was going to build this agency. And, you know, that opened the next door, the next door, the next door. I started working with my business partner at the time. And then it's like, oh, you know, like, whoa, you know, that, and then my life completely shifted and, sh- and changed. Yeah. And I had to come back to that. Again, uh early this year. Right. Mm. I was like, oh, like what what do I do now?
0: <laughs> you just do the work and enjoy yes, the process the on the way. Yes. Yes. I saw you it's all you get. Yes. I totally remember sitting in uh I, I went to this MRI appointment and I was I was like, what am I doing here? Like I know everything is good. And I was questioning myself on the way in, and then I sat down with the nurse as she was doing like a pre-intake, and for maybe like five minutes, we're just having you know a little chit chat, and we I end up sharing with her how uh, I've had to advocate for myself through my journey with breast cancer, and she just looked at me and she was like, you know, I've been asking my doctor, she says to to get checked. She's like, I just feel like something you know is off. I don't know if there's something going on in my family, and they're just. They're telling me I'm too young. You know, don't worry about it. Come back later. She's like, but our family has some history. And I said, hey, yeah, like this is your opportunity to advocate for yourself. This is where you get to have some say in how you also show up, you know, and, she, and she's a nurse. And, yeah. it is, and it's shocking wow. to me because I'm like, this is a nurse who is talking about having trouble advocating for herself. And so I'm giving her some tips and some tools and just sharing with her. And she said to me, she goes, you know what? She goes, you've inspired me today. She goes, I'm gonna call them. She goes, I'm gonna call them as soon as, as we're done here. She's like, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go get my gene yeah. testing. I'm gonna get my blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah. this is why I'm here today. That it mm. hit me. I could just, it was like a chill in my body. And I was like, I'm mm. not here for me today. I'm here for mm. her today. Because she needed mm. to hear this from someone who's on the other side of it, who's showing up. And, you know, it, I yeah. just was sitting in that moment. And I was like, oh, these are the purpose moments. You know, like this is, you feel it and you know it. And it's, it's the confidence in knowing Mm -hmm. that every time those moments show up and I get a nice little reflection of them. And sometimes we plant the seeds, right? We do, Mm -hmm. we're doing the work and we're planting the seeds. We don't always get to see the garden. And that was pointed out to me this last week. I went to actually see my esthetician. One of my old Mm -hmm. ones when I was uh, in an old neighborhood. And every time I'm yeah. in town, I go and see her. And she said to me, she said, Mary, she goes, I want you to know that like our relationship, I love and I love staying in touch with you because I feel like you're someone who's planted seeds in my life and I hope that you see the garden. And mm. that was like, oh, wow. Yeah. What a beautiful reflection because it's true. So oftentimes we're out planting seeds, we're living mm. our purpose. And sometimes we don't always get to see the garden, we don't always get to see and- where where that
1: is yeah and can i just add to that because i think for a lot of people you know you you step into this reality one day where you realize if you actually want to make the level of impact that you want to make you will never meet all the people that you serve right? right you'll never meet all the people you support and, and right. impact you know there has to be a part of you that's completely okay with that
0: that's the yeah, trust right? part that's you're talking about. Trust.
1: yeah yeah exactly right that's the that's... trust that's the surrender of yeah. hey you have no idea right and as you were sharing that story You know, I remember, you know, you sharing with me, right? And, you know, feel free to edit this out, but uh, at my birthday party, right? Um, And in Cabo, when you came up to me, like, you know, Zion, like, now I know why I'm here. And, you know, and this was, um, you know, after a conversation around, you know, one of the folks that came to my party just got divorced. And, you know, and you're just like, you have no idea, right? And it's just like these moments of, you know, for me, I was just having a party with my friends, right? But, I know for so many people there, right, it's just moved timelines inside of their world. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, you'll just never know. It's like, can you and can you just trust and surrender and be in a full acceptance of that?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love all these pivotal moments. And uh, it's also one of the reasons I miss having you right here in my backyard is so many gatherings and so many get togethers and just so much magic that's just come from uh, just knowing you, just being in. Mm. In a relationship with you, and being able to be part of your life, and uh, and have you as part of a big part of mine as well, and it's been just magic. And it's true, you are amazing at bringing the right people into a room together, and magic just shows up and happens. And mm-hmm. I can connect those dots in some really beautiful ways. So I want to acknowledge you and and thank you for that as yeah.
1: well. Yeah, yeah, thank you. There's there's no.
0: a, another great thing that I think another great topic that I think is totally worth exploring here. It goes into the speaking our truth and not avoiding conversations. You know, how do we get to uncomfortable truths? How do we have tough conversations? Because I think that's another one, you know, in rounding all of this out with the things that we've talked about purpose. And we've Mm -hmm. talked about not doing too much at one time. We've talked Mm -hmm. about, you know, being able to, to rein in our actual vision so that we're not side railing our team. Like, how does this all come back to having uncomfortable conversations? And what would you define as an uncomfortable conversation?
1: One of the sayings that our mutual friend shares is, yeah, there's no such thing. Well, yeah, success does not take time. It takes courage, Mm. right? And courage cannot exist if there's no fear. And an uncomfortable conversation, it's the, the, the range of tolerance is so different for everyone of like, what is uncomfortable for me is very different for what's uncomfortable right. for you. Oftentimes, you know, for a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, I've actually seen that it's actually speaking your truth and taking a stand for yourself, right? So it's just like what you're saying with the nurse, right? Are you able to share where you're at and how something impacted you? And are you able to do it from a space of almost what feels like selfishness because it's the best for you, mm. right? So any uncomfortable conversation, you know, can be categorized under, you know, just anything that feels like a stretch for you to share for whatever reason it might be, you know, but man, for, for so many of the people that I've coached, it's people pleasing. Mm. Right, like it's people pleasing yes. of not speaking their truth. It's it's allowing themselves to be the doormat of of their reality, even if they're the owner of the company. Mm-hmm. Right, it's being afraid of hurting someone's feelings because they're greater. Because in that moment, you're making their feelings greater than your own desire, and what's most important to you. Right. So these are, of course, just examples, but. But when I think about the ones that come up the most of why people are stuck in the relationships that they're stuck in, of why they're stuck with the people and the teams that they're stuck with, of why they're not making the progress, it's because of the energy that goes into withholding. right! Like If you think about the amount of energy that's needed to move your vision forward and how much of that energy is literally trapped in you not saying what you want to say. Right. But of course, what ends up happening then is it just puts uh, deposits into, you know, it just puts deposits in between people, right? Um, Where it just gets to a point where, hey, there's another thing that I didn't say. There's another thing that I didn't say. Oh, there's another thing I didn't want to share. Oh, you know what? I just gave someone a price and a discount, but I didn't actually want to. mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I didn't actually want to you know, allow this thing to happen, but I allowed it. Uh, I didn't want this person to, you know, do something, but, you know, they, they keep doing it and I didn't, I didn't want to voice it. Yeah. But each one of these things just builds up this level of resentment to a point where the way that most people exit from these types of relationships is where they make it to like this fuck it kind of like point of, you know, where the resentment's so high that they're so numb to the relationship Mm. that they're then easily able to walk easily, right? I'm, yep. I'm air quoting for people who are listening to this, like yes. easily able to then walk away from a relationship because of how much resentment they've built in it. Right. And, you know, and I think that's sad.
0: We see it all the time. We see it in personal yep. relationships, obviously. Yep. Uh, that's why the divorce rate is so high. We definitely mm-hmm. see it in business. I mean, back to the, the high 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 operating, high functional team that's coming to me and saying we're all ready to just walk out of here. We're so yeah. frustrated. And I'm just like, my first question to them is, have you had a conversation? Or are you just slowly building resentment behind the scenes? Right. And they're like, no, actually we've said we've said things a few times. And I'm like, oh, not being heard. Yikes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I
0: said, boy, there's there's going to be a little little disruption for some of these folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that this happens sometimes along that journey to being, you know, an, an epic leader and an epic CEO. You've got to fall on your face a few times, and sometimes this is the space where it happens is in not mm-hmm. really learning to listen to your people. And when you don't learn to listen to your people, then that builds resentment. And if you're lucky, those people will mm-hmm. come to you and give you an opportunity to make it right. Mm. Sometimes they don't say anything at all and they back out and they're like, see, yeah, we'll we'll take this somewhere else.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the challenging part is if you meet that level of feedback with righteousness and defense and justification Mm -hmm. uh, instead of curiosity, right? And, you know, and most CEOs, you know, if there's nothing else that, you know, there's nothing else that you practice in your reality, as far as one tool goes, it's just curiosity, right? Is yeah. are you one hundred percent certain, and have you actually inquired about this person's experience, this person's reality, and have you really dug up everything that you can? And is there anything left unsaid, right? And you know, because in those moments, uh, it hurts to hear more, right? Right. It's it's very bruising. To the ego to, to hear more, yeah. right? And it's it's easier to live with the reality of it's a projected reality, right? Where yeah, we're just assuming that everything's fine, and yeah, but it's because it's it's easier to live in a reality where you know a bunch of stuff is like not that great sometimes than actually hearing why it's not that great.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's tell me how. It's tell me how great I am, but don't tell me how bad I am.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Oh, I want feedback, but just not that way.
0: That's right. Just the good stuff, please. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Any complaints, those can be, uh, they're over there. They're written on a piece of paper and thrown into the fire.
1: (laughs) Thank you very (laughs) much. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. I
0: I think that's one of the reasons why also uh, in in the CEO seat, in the leadership seat, it's super important Mm -hmm. to... Also, go back to your team often, right? And have it create a space where there's room for those conversations and room for feedback. Because mm-hmm. other times yeah. it's like, oh, it, I think there's a blanket thing that happens where we go, if you have any feedback, let me know, right. right? So we're putting it on them to tell us. And so, depending on your team, you actually may need to be the one that goes and initiates and says, "Hey, like, no, really." Like I would like some feedback on myself and that can be done in a number of ways, right? If you, uh, that can be done obviously verbally, but also in anonymous survey or in yep. some space where they go to a third party on the team that is, you know, the, the collector of the information and then the sharer. So mm-hmm. there's so many different ways to create solutions around that so that you're actually getting honest feedback from your team and not just this mm-hmm. yes, man mentality. Cause those are the yeah. organizations that are usually spinning their wheels a little bit because they're not really hearing yeah. their
1: people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was say, you know, it's the same with customers, right? Because I, I hear a lot of companies these days saying, yeah, like all of our customers love us and they're doing great. Like, well, what data point are you basing this off of? It's like, oh, you mean the 10 to 15 of them, right? Especially if you have a, a larger group, uh, like they're the ones that are like vocal and sharing their wins and all these things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's so important for people to really understand. It's like, is your team actually happy? And what are you basing that on? Right. And do you actually have the data? To, to do that. Here, you know, one of the questions I love asking is um, you know, hey, what is it like working with me on a scale of one to five? Right. And we'll get it to the next level, right? How are you feeling about your life at work? On scale oh, one really. to five, we'll get it to the next level, right? Yes. And you could ask, you know, a bunch of other things, but you know, let's yeah. just say the I have a whole list of these questions, but let's just say those two. Cause then you have data, right? This is like oh, a very tough. objective, but subjective to them kind of answer on, right. on how people feel. And when you're asking people in that group of like, yeah, you know, I'm op- always open to feedback. My door's always open. It, it kind of falls on deaf ears a bit because mm-hmm. it doesn't actually mean that you are, it just means that you're available. But most people don't, they've heard, they're so desensitized to that message that yeah. they really require you to go in and, you know, open that door up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I do think it's our responsibility as the leaders of our business to to open that door. For real.
1: (laughs) Not just tell people it's
0: open, but to be like, take them by the hand and be like, please come through the store and let's actually talk about this. And making it a safe space to do that in. And I think that's the problem with most companies is they're not creating the safe space for people to do it in. They might say they are, but when it actually comes down to doing it, it doesn't exist. It's just lip service. And I think we're in a, a different times. And as things progress and move forward, I think people are going to demand a higher quality workplace in that sense as mm-hmm. well. And they're, you know, people are looking for yeah. lead always. And so show yeah. up, you know, this is how you, how you get to show up. So Ian, how has yeah. plant medicine propelled you or assisted you in leadership? Is, would you say that there's been some dynamics there at play for you?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I would say that I've experimented with such a range of different substances. That it's like, yes, like plant medicines in particular have definitely opened up that space and that capacity. But I would just say if I was going to just group it all together of all the different things that that i tried, right? Yeah. You know, it just forces you to uh, such a deep level of presence that you have to look at what's congruent and not in your life. And it just brings such a significant level of awareness as far as like, well, what's not working? Why is it not working? And, you know, am I actually living in my truth and, and, and all these different aspects. And I think that, you know, like all these different types of medicines, like really bring everything front and center for me. Um, and it just forces me to really look at it and see, hey, is this, is, am, I, am I really living in alignment in all the different areas and aspects of my life? And, you know, mm-hmm. I think in the past, it's really forced me to uh, to really look at those things. and And especially, you know, because there's some where I'm living in my fear mm-hmm. and I'm not, right? And I'm not living in my greatness. I'm not going after what it is I desire. Uh, there are times where uh, I'm not sharing my truth. And it's um, I'm so numb and so unconscious to it because I'm that afraid to, to share because of the level of impact and that projected reality that I think I'm going to step into with, with another individual, you know, because I, I fear the repercussions of, of whatever might happen. And, you know, and sometimes I'm completely unconscious to it, right? Like as much like work I have done or or haven't done, it's like, you know, still still catch myself in those moments of, oh shit. Yeah. You know, this is still here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it as a facilitator. I love plant mm-hmm. medicine as a facilitator because I feel like even for myself, like I, you know, consider myself a very objective person and always looking at different perspectives and trying to see things from different angles. And I feel like that's definitely, you know, part of my magic. And at the same yeah. time, sometimes the hardest angle to see is your own, right? Because yeah. you're emotionally attached to it. And so I know for me that that's been a really amazing way to get a few layers deeper with myself that sometimes mm-hmm. I'm not fully aware of. And I, I love the, the idea of being able to continually challenge myself to always raise my own awareness. Yeah. Do I think it's for everyone? Not necessarily. Uh, I do think that if you are a leader who is really striving to be your best, to show up optimally for your team, for your life, for yourself, Mm -hmm. that it's such a beautiful way to open your Mm -hmm. eyes to some things that you might have some blinders on to, or some Mm -hmm. lies you might be telling yourself, right? Because we all have our own stories that are showing up on our head. And it's like, wow, if we what if what if some characters in this story shift a little bit like how does Mm -hmm. it how does it shift our reality of the story Mm -hmm. we've been telling ourselves and so Mm -hmm. many times we're we're taught what to believe right we're programmed from a very young age and whether parents decide to do it or not it's happening Mm -hmm. we are we get to instill the first operating system into our children and so when that happens then what Right, they mm-hmm. grow up into the world, and and we were talking a bit before the show about how uh, like trauma, how trauma can show up even before childbirth. And um, I took a class yeah. years ago on this. It was actually for uh, families who were going to adopt, um, get into the adoption mm-hmm. process, and yeah. it was fascinating to hear because a lot of times these children are coming from you know less than optimal situations. Um, sure. even from being in the womb, you know, maybe the mother was beat while the baby was in the womb. And they're talking about how this still imprints some trauma and like, yeah. how do we show up, you know, in the world for, for this, this little human that we now mm-hmm. have the responsibility of, you know, shaping and guiding and what a, what a beautiful, but also big responsibility that can be because we get to instill their first operating system. So I feel mm-hmm. like we spend the first, you know, 30, 40 years of our life learning. And then we try to spend the rest mm. of it learning. <laughs> and if yeah. we're, we're lucky, yeah. we get to start a little sooner on the unlearning mm-hmm. part, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that's just another big piece of it of like, okay, like, what are we, what are we putting out into the world? What do we get to instill, mm. you know, in, in next generations? And I think it's even true in business. Like how, how do we, mm-hmm. how can we change? How do we start to make the shifts um, even from a very energetic place? So that workplaces can feel better, so that people actually mm-hmm. enjoy what they're showing up to do, or enjoy, at least mm-hmm. enjoying their life and knowing that their work is not everything. It's a piece right. that, that that's a part of the bigger puzzle um, that mm-hmm. impacts the the joy that they get to do. You know, maybe they love singing, mm-hmm. but it's not their vocation, and that's okay. Right. But also, how do we still create music in our life so that mm-hmm. we're not repressing that? And out of the old, mm-hmm. I think the old paradigm of let me work for all these years. And then when I'm old, yeah. I will go out and travel and do this. I feel like that's shifted mm-hmm. so much, right? We are in the age of Thank the God. nomad and everyone's traveling. Yeah. I mean, you picking up roots and being like, well, we've got a baby on the way and I've got yeah. new, new projects running up in my business. And I think I'll move across the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was funny because when I was younger, I, I always told myself, uh, this is actually when I was uh, 19, 2021 20, time timeframe. Where I tell myself, you know, I want to work my face off while I'm young, so that I have money when I'm younger, because I don't want to be old and then try to do the things because I won't have the energy. and It just won't be as fun, right? Yeah. So my 20s were just like me eating it, right, and and just like trying to like figure out how to do whatever, just so I can, you yeah, know, so I gotta have have a little bit of fun. Um, but you said something a little bit earlier on the the plant medicine side of things. Yeah. And. Yeah, you know, one of the biggest lessons that medicine always teaches me is surrender, mm-hmm. and and truly, truly reminding me to be able to let go, right, and realize, like I don't actually have control over a lot of things in my life. It's just the illusion that I do. Yes. Right. But on the flip side, right, while you're talking, the other thing that I thought of is, you know, like I love how many people are. Um, starting to come to the different medicines of their life. But what I often see is that the only time that people are also spending in reflection is under uh, altered states of consciousness. Mm. Mm. Right? Because um, this is true for me as well, where it's like, you know, I couldn't just lay down and close my eyes and listen to music for longer than ever. Like, I don't know, I, I never did it. Right, so um, you know, unless I like smoke a little weed, or you know, just like (laughs) do you know, do whatever. Like it's like until that happens, even the idea or the thought of me just closing my eyes, listening to some music, chilling, doing nothing, doing nothing, right? Suppose and but it's so easy with with substances, Mm. and I think that you know, for a lot of people, there's so much that can come through and just creating space in general. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I think that's also really important. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's really important for CEOs, right? Just to make sure, you know, because the the rate of growth has again nothing to do with time, but it has everything to do with the amount of times that you're willing to spend in reflection on how you are currently taking action and moving about your day. Mm-hmm. Right, and if you're only reflecting once a month, once a quarter. Then you know you're getting like what four times of reflection throughout the year compared to someone who's doing it t- even ten minutes, fifteen minutes a day, a day, yeah. right? So you know, so that's three hundred sixty-five new opportunities to really shift and be in uh, reflection and to be a third party to your own action versus yes. you know the fifty times if you do it once a week, uh, you know, to the four times if you do it once a quarter, and you know, and and of course, right? My belief is that you will never go like as deep right maybe i'm just not that woke but hey you know i i believe that i cannot go as deep (laughs) or have certain things just unsurface because there's times where just like these little like these stones and pebbles just get dislodged right and it's like like whoa like what, what was that right and then you know what just came up there and it's just like um you know it's just unkinking the hose in multiple parts of your body yes
0: yes i'm a i'm a fan of unkinking the hose I think you yeah, can, you <laughs> can, that, that, that's, a, that's a good visual visual for someone's mind to grasp what that is. And yeah, I have to agree with you. I think that there's uh, there's beauty in being able to quiet your mind, but if mm-hmm. you can't even get to the point where you can quiet your mind for 10 minutes, then you might need some, might need some assistance with that. and there's mm-hmm. some beautiful, beautiful tools in the world uh, that exist for that. And uh, yeah, I'm so grateful for it. And uh, I'm grateful for you, Zion. Thank you for showing up today and sharing your wisdom. Uh, I look forward to uh, to more of this.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I'm glad that we finally got one of our conversations recorded uh, <laughs> over over the many, many years that we've been having them. So
0: <laughs> we would have, have have had someone been recording all of our conversations. I feel like it would be the most epic uh, oh my like, God. library of content. <laughs>
1: yeah it, it it would start with most of the a lot of these lessons being imparted to me somewhere <laughs> in the beginning of my my earlier years like not not even aware of like how much uh i was doing a lot of these things oh. right and um. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, it would have been fun times <laughs> to see the journey for sure.
0: Well, cheers to not being a CEO, uh, an asshole CEO. Cheers to not being an asshole CEO.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs>
0: you graduated. Congratulations. <laughs>
1: thank you. Thank you.
0: I love it. Well, give Renata my best. I love you, Zion. Yeah,
1: will do. Love you All too. Right.
0: Thank you for joining us on today's show. I hope that today's session inspires you to live an aligned life where you get to take complete ownership of your feelings and decisions to live in your truth. You can connect with me at www.marydee.com. That's maryde dot com. Follow and like us at Facebook or Instagram at The Mary D. That's The T-H-E Mary D. M-A-R-Y-D-E-E.